This is Safety Bry, your number one safety geek. Why do we have the behaviors that we do? Superheroes in the workplace, right? All of those things that go into making you an effective safety manager. I love what we do. Motivation, learning, teaching, training, teamwork. I geek out over that just as much as I do safety. Hello, 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 all my safety friends. How are you doing today? It is a beautiful, sunny day here in Florida, and I hope that your day is just as beautiful. Welcome to episode number eight of the Safety Geek Podcast. My name is Bri, your number one safety geek, and today we are talking about bridging the gap between being a subject matter expert and being the safety police. So if you listen to my first episode, you know that I have kind of had experience with both. I was a safety police for quite a while. I had some pretty nasty names behind me, but I it never I never got it to work and I couldn't understand why. So it took a lot of experience, and a lot of time to understand why being the safety police does not work. It doesn't work with your employees and it doesn't work with your management team. So I want to help you bridge that gap so that way you are seen more as a subject matter expert and a partner than than seen as the enforcer. All right, so let's get into it. So the first step is to understand the difference between the two. So a subject matter expert is not necessarily somebody who has all the answers, but they have a general gist about safety. They understand the regulations and they know where to go to research and find the answers. So don't think there's a lot of safety managers out there that are very, very analytical and they remember the regulations off the top of their head, right? I used to work with a couple and it was, they were amazing that they understood it that well. But don't think that you have to have that same kind of brain to be a good safety manager. If you just kind of know the regulations in general, know where to find the details about the regulations and how to do some good research, you can be a subject matter expert. Now, an SME is generally like seen as like a teacher or a coach or a mentor on the subject. So think about it. If they have questions about safety, we want them coming to you. Uh, it's the same way if you had an HR department, or let's say that your facility had a quality department or a lab or anything like that. If I had a question about quality of the product or changing a product, and is it going to affect the quality, I'm going to go to the quality subject matter expert. If I had a question about labor relations and whether or not I'm okay to write somebody up or, you know, firing somebody or something like that, I'm going to go to HR with those questions. We want your management team to and your employees to be doing the same thing with you. We want them to recognize that safety is a partner within operations and that if they have a question, if they're changing a process or a procedure or something like that, they understand they need to ha- they need to get safety involved. So they need to come with you with the question. It's like, hey, we want to change this process because it's just going too slow and we want to uh, speed this up. Is this okay? Are there any safety issues for us to do this? That's basically what you're looking for. That makes you more of a partner in the organization. Now, the opposition to that is being the safety police. And there are two ways that you could be the safety police. You can be it against the employees or you can be it against the management team. 
Now, when it's against the employees, it means that you're the person that's doing all the disciplinary action, the terminations, the write-ups, um, anything like that. It could also be that maybe you review accidents and you assign points or disciplinary action. A lot of locations have that. They have an accident review board that reviews every single accident and determines is it preventable or not preventable, chargeable or not chargeable against the employee, and then they assign disciplinary action. And I will tell you, I have problems with accident review boards, and I'm sure we will talk about that in future episodes. Uh, They really don't work with a good behavior-based safety system or changing culture, all right? So those are ways that you could be the safety police against an employee, or maybe you're going out and you're actually looking for things that they're doing wrong. That could be it too. I like to call that witch hunting, that instead of solving the problem, you're just looking to find somebody to blame for the problem. Right. And all of these things, it's not that they don't have a place in the workplace because they do. I mean, if somebody isn't following safety policies, they definitely need to be written up or disciplinary action or retraining or coaching or something like that. But that doesn't need to come from the safety manager. That actually works better when it comes from their boss. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. Now, how you can be the safety police against the management team is that once again, you're always looking for something that is wrong in the operations. If you are constantly nitpicking everything that the operations team is doing as being unsafe or safety issues, then they are less likely to include you in their planning or in their operations. You are seen as a threat and you are not seen as a helpful partner right? That's the difference between a subject matter expert and the safety police. SMEs are a helpful partner. Safety police are just looking to tell them that they're doing it wrong, right? So what happens when you become the safety police against the management team is they start hiding things from you and not sharing things with you. And then they start seeing the safety department as a necessary evil as opposed to a partner. So they see you as, hey, we got to have a safety department. You know, we have accidents. We need somebody to deal with it. Um, so yeah, we got to have them, but you know, we'll just do our thing. And if they catch us, then we'll, we'll deal with it then. As opposed to, hey, we're putting in this new process or procedure. We don't, we want to make sure that we're doing it right. Let's call the safety manager and have them review it and see if they have any issues with it that can be addressed ahead of time before we actually start doing it. That is more of a partner. Okay, so that's the disconnect between the two. You don't want to be seen as somebody who's getting in the way. You and you don't want them to be keeping things from you. You want to be seen as a part of the team and somebody that they're actually going to reach out to. Now, the reason why it's important to keep who is the safety police at your facility and who who is the SME separate is that for people to follow you, for people to listen to your safety message, for people to actually want to follow safety rules, they can't be scared of you. Leading through fear is not how to get people to work safely. <laughs> it is leading through that, hey, I have some knowledge I want to share with you and I'm here to help you. When they see you as being helpful, then they are more likely to listen to your message, 
right? So if they're always scared that, hey, if I'm if I'm not wearing my hearing protection, Bri's going to write me up, then they're not going to they're not going to get the message as to why wearing hearing protection is so important. And the other thing why they have to be so separate is that your employees are always going to follow their immediate boss before they follow you. So it does no good for you to be the person writing them up. And this kind of goes back to our accountability episode because you really don't have authority over them. So how could you deliver the consequences, right? So any consequences you deliver by not having authority over that that individual just become moot because it doesn't, you have no weight behind it anyway. But going back to where they actually listen to their frontline supervisor before they will listen to you because they see their frontline supervisor as having more authority over them. For them to keep their job, for them to keep getting their paycheck and being able to support themselves and their family, because let's grant, granted, you know, everybody is here to get a paycheck. If you weren't getting a paycheck, would you still be doing your job? And most people, especially your employees, would say no. Okay, so the paycheck is why they're there. And for them to continue to get that paycheck, they have to keep their job. And to keep their job, they have to keep their boss happy. Yes, you have some influence over keeping their boss happy, but you have very little compared to the boss itself. So they're always going to listen to their boss way more than they listen to you. So it should be your boss who is the safety enforcer, right? And when you have a good safety culture, you and that employee's boss, supervisor, manager, whatever they're called, you're going to be sending that same message anyway. Okay, so that's why they have to be separate. Now, there is a gap. Obviously, I see it all the time where we're trying to juggle those two balls of being the safety police as well as the subject matter expert. But we need to close that gap. We need to make sure that we separate the two and we just stay on one side. And if that's not how it is at your facility, I want to give you some tips on how you can start changing that culture at your facility. Because I do know that a lot of safety managers are hired and they're actually put in that position. They're hired expecting to be the safety police. They're hired expecting to enforce safety and to get employees to follow um, the safety rules. And when a safety manager tells them, well, that's not my job, then they'll be like, well, then why did we hire you? So you have to get them to understand that it is your job to create the policies and procedures to train and coach on them and develop their management team to enforce safety. And in order to get them to understand that, you have to train them why the two have to be separate and why you cannot be the safety police. So getting your management team to understand that is first, get you some analogies that they might understand. I, a lot of times what I like to tell managers is please go back to the time when you were an hourly employee. Because being an hourly employee, you have a different mindset than being a salaried employee. Because when you're a salaried employee, you understand that you're paid for getting the job done and, and you, you have a little bit more of autonomy in that job. But an hourly employee, you're actually answering 
to a person for every hour that you do the work, right? It's a different mindset. So I try to get people to go back to their last hourly job. And those of us that have been in leadership for a while, that might be a long time. I mean, shoot, I haven't had an hourly job since I was, I think, 19. So anyway, when you go back to that and you're first getting hired for that hourly job, think about what your thoughts were. Or even any job that you started, your first thought was like, who am I working for? right? And then from there, you're just thinking like, okay, what does this person expect out of me? And unless you are explicitly told by your boss that they expect you to follow the safety rules, most people are going to think of safety last. They're always going to put productivity way before safety, So you have to actually get them to understand the safety comes first. That's a whole nother episode too. But anyway, so you have to get your management team to visualize what it's like being an hourly employee, to visualize that, hey, you're starting, who who do you listen to the most? Most of the time, once they understand that the, the person that employee is going to listen to is the frontline supervisor, they will start changing their mind. If you're still struggling with that, another analogy I love to use with them is that let's say in your own situation, right? You're head of the company, you answer to maybe the corporate office, but let's say that the HR manager comes in and threatens to write you up. How does that make you feel? Mm, You know, maybe you see that she has a little bit of a right, but it's more of like a, a tiny bug bite compared to the corporate office calling you and saying, hey, you did this wrong and we're writing you up. Which one carries more weight? Because that's what it's like for an hourly employee. If their boss is writing them up for a safety violation, that carries a heck of a lot more weight than the safety manager who's just like has a sideline leadership role coming in and saying you're doing it wrong. It'll just be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll change that. But it just doesn't have as much weight as when it comes from the frontline supervisor. So that doesn't mean that as the safety manager, you stop all disciplinary action and you just ignore the fact that people are not following it safely. What I'm saying is that you stop managing by fear. Fear should never come from safety. It should actually just be part of I don't want to say that fear should be part of the job, but the fear of getting fired should be more of of from their supervisor than from you. When you come up to them and tell them they're lifting improperly or they're not wearing their PPE, it should be seen as helpful and not as fear. So that's what you need to get out of the situation is take all that fear out of you. So it should be that if the safety manager finds out about it, nothing happens other than training and coaching. Safety manager is going to coach that employee. They're going to have a discussion. They might say, hey, I think you need some more retraining with this. I'm going to talk to your supervisor about it, right? The safety manager then tells their frontline supervisor about the interaction. That doesn't mean the supervisor then has to immediately take action and, and write that employee up. It's just making them aware so that way they can be on the lookout for it. So that way when the supervisor finds them not following the safety rule, then the supervisor does the disciplinary action. I used to have this program where I had employees coach each other. It was like 
employee to employee coaching. If you saw the employee doing something right, you could say something. If you saw them doing something wrong, you could say something. Either way, just by speaking up, you got, you know, incentivized for doing it. And we also had a program where employees observed and coached other employees. And the the good advantage of doing that, what I always used to tell people is that when an employee finds another employee doing not following a safety rule, it's a coaching situation. There's never any disciplinary action attached to it. There's no fear in there. There's only improvement. And that employee is going to really focus on why it's important to the to the team as a whole and to that employee as to why they want to do it the right way. So it has more impact than a write-up does, at least long-lasting impact. Because there was no fear, everybody saw it as a learning experience. It should be the same when it's the safety manager. And safety managers should just, when they see it, it should just be a coaching opportunity. So where the write-ups come from, where the enforcement comes from, that is all from the frontline supervisor. It can't even really come from the manager of the department unless that's their direct supervisor. It really has to come from that person that they answer to every single day. I used to have, I had this executive that, and and this was like a corporate executive. He ran multiple locations and I'm trying to convince him of this. And for his few locations, I could not convince him. It actually took the numbers because he had this policy of, I do not want my employees enforcing safety. That's why I hire safety managers. It is a safety manager's job to enforce safety. Now, he was the only one out of the group that had that mindset. Everybody else had the different mindset. And guess whose numbers were the worst? We're talking like super high accident numbers, really bad productivity numbers, All of this kind of plays into each other. So sometimes it takes the numbers in order to get people to change their mind. Maybe you can't get one supervisor to change their mind, but you can get a supervisor from another department to start enforcing safety where you don't. And then you can show your management team the difference. And maybe that's how you can get their buy-in. That's what happened in this case. They actually moved that executive onto a different department to get them out of it because it just wasn't working. But anyway, those are ways that if you're in a bad situation where you're being forced to be the safety police, that you can get your management team to change their mindset on that to where you then become seen as a subject matter expert. So you either need to use analogies on them, get them to remember what it was like to be an hourly employee themselves, or actually show them the numbers that it just doesn't work. You're You're just getting you're not making any effect because you don't have authority, right? Now, if you want your supervisors to be writing up safety violations, then you have to make it easy for them to be the safety enforcer. That's the other thing. A lot of times what I find is that supervisors don't enforce safety because they're just too darn busy, They can't stop because safety needs to be enforced in the moment and they can't stop right then and there and do a write up. They can stop right then and there and do a small coaching session. But if they've coached that employee four or five times already, it's time for a write up, you know, and they might not have time to do that. So you have to make it easy for them. One of the things that has worked really well for me in the past was creating a disciplinary action form that had 
mandatory disciplinary actions listed on it based on the activity. And we actually created this form as a team. We got all of the frontline supervisors in the room. I gave them a starting point as to what I would like to see on the form. For example, not wearing your steel-toed shoes, you got sent home for the day. Horse playing was an automatic termination. Not locking out a machine was an automatic termination. You know, certain things like that. So I gave them a starting point, and then we created a list based off of our SOPs of when this happens, we do this. When this happens, we do this. And it gave them a lot, it gave them a tool that was super easy for them to enforce safety. They could do it on an electronic form right then and there in the manufacturing facility or in the warehouse. We had paper forms with duplicate copies as well. So it made it very easy for them to enforce safety and have documentation that they were doing that. We also used a form to document their coaching. So if they talked to anybody, they could quickly just put the name of the person and what they talked about. So that way they can document their coaching. So that way they knew, hey, I coached this person five times on this already. There's an issue there. <laughs> Maybe we need to throw in some retraining or we need to step it up a bit or I need to do some extra observations on them and maybe write them up. But get them involved in it. Don't try to create a disciplinary action form in a bubble. We actually went through three or four versions of this form over several years because we kept getting feedback and then making changes. Because we created it as a team, it was very much used within the facility. So it wasn't something that safety was just pushing. But the biggest thing with your supervisors is just making sure they're not ignoring safety issues and that they're talking to their employee. All right, so that's kind of how you can bridge that gap. And remember, whenever you see yourself enforcing safety, stop and say, am I being the safety police right now? Or am I being a master safety coach? Because that's what you want to be. You want to be that subject matter expert. You want to be that coach. So ask yourself those things and say, hey, am I being helpful? Or am I just trying to find blame? Am I fixing the problem and being a partner? Or am I trying to just prevent them from, from doing what they want to do? Those are things that can help you bridge that gap as well. And when you start seeing yourself as that subject matter expert, when you start showing up as the master safety coach, everything else falls into place so much easier because how you show up makes a difference as to how they respond to you too. So that's what I have for you this week, guys. Remember, safety police just don't work. Until next week, we will chat again, and you guys have a great day. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Check out the show notes and links for this week's show at www.asksafetygeek.com. Hey, did you know that there's an Ask Safety Geek Facebook group? You can find it on the Safety Geek page at facebook.com forward slash AskSafetyGeek. Be sure to join the group where we share safety manager stories and best tips and tricks within the community. Thanks for listening and have a safe day. Talk to you soon.